One of the reasons I think that I, I want to live abroad, that I like living abroad, is because there's something more painful about not feeling like you belong in your own home. This is The Way We Connect, exploring the way we relate, date, and communicate. So what this podcast aims to do is to look at communication, relationships, really any way in which human beings or other species interact with each other. Those of you who tuned in to the first season will notice that Liz isn't with me now, but she's still around, don't worry, she's very busy. <laughs> What does it mean to fit in? One of the most underlying needs that humans have is to belong to something, to some cause, to some group. When I studied nonviolent communication, they often talk about belonging and safety as some of the core needs that underlie a lot of human behavior. And whether we realize it or not, a lot of the different upsets and anger and anxiety we have is because that feeling of belonging is absent or is threatened. Of course, not all of us think that we want to belong. Some of us have a bit more of a rebellious side. I know for myself, I often prided myself on being a bit different and not fitting in. Although I wonder now if that was just a way to cope with the fact that I didn't feel accepted in my own community back home. I'm talking today to Amelia, a friend of mine who has lived in several different countries. But more recently, before she came to the Czech Republic for the second time, she lived in Namibia as a Peace Corps volunteer. Let's talk to her today about her experience in Namibia, but also her experience back home in Kansas in the USA and in other places she's lived. My name is Amelia Sheldon. I am a returned Peace Corps volunteer from Peace Corps Namibia. I served 2015 to 2017, um, and I now live in Prague. So, Namibia. Yeah. Uh, did you choose it, or do they choose for you? Uh, they chose for me. So when I applied, um, I was an Asian studies major in university, and so I actually applied to go to Asia, specifically Mongolia or Cambodia. So before you went to Namibia, how much did you know about it before you got there? Nothing. I, like read some of the Wikipedia page, but I had a lot of anxiety about Peace Corps, um, especially the summer before I left. And so the more I did in prep for it, the more I, like the worse I felt. So I decided after a while to go in blind and that everything I was going to learn about the country from then on was going to be from Namibians and not other people reporting on it. Because I don't know if you knew this, but when you read about Africa from white people's perspective, it tends to be pretty dismal, pretty bleak. Mm -hmm. um, and the more I read, I was it, it makes you anxious to be like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go here to this place where like the only news I can get is not the best. And I was like, but that's not true. Like, I, you know, I it's not like it was my first time traveling. I was like, okay, I've been to other countries. I know that like they're different than how they're portrayed in media so I'm like I'm gonna stop letting this outsider's view like cloud my judgment and just be like okay this is like how Namibians feel about it so cool so what do they do to prepare you is it there's a three-month intensive language course there is a three-month training program in country and there was a lot of discussion about the way it was handled in my cohort um, because essentially what they try and do is scare the shit out of you 
to make you want to leave. And then those who stick with it, they're like, okay, you might actually survive your two years or whatever. Uh-huh. So they're weeding uh, out. So they weed you out. <laughs> and so even then, like, I finally get to Namibia and the training is like, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. Don't do this. And then you're going to die. <laughs> and it's like, I still don't think this is true. Like, <laughs> So how was the actual... First impression when you got there. So my first impression, um, it was weird. We landed and we had to drive out to the town that we were staying in from the airport. And like most places, the airport's kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. I'm from Kansas. I'm used to that. Um, But unlike Kansas, when we were driving to this town, we drove past like giraffes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, Okay, okay, we're in a different continent you now. You really get like, to say we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, I got to say we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and it took a while for it to feel real, I guess, to be like, okay, I am in the continent of Africa. I am in a country I know almost nothing about. And I'm going to make this work. Uh, right off the bat, the Namibian people were super, super welcoming. It was a good experience from from that perspective as well. People were just like, they're really open, they're really upfront. So when you first got there, after seeing the giraffes and everything, and <laughs> getting warmed up, uh, how were the first few weeks there? Did you feel homesick? Yeah, the first few weeks, like we were still in training, so the first few weeks were really rough. Um, but I made a lot of really good friends and we kind of helped motivate each other through it. Um, I actually really hated all of our training and kept thinking if the rest of service is going to be like this, there's no way I'm going to make it through. Uh, but then about halfway through training, we did, um, community-based training, CBT, Peace Corps loves its acronyms. So there's a whole bunch of them, um, where they actually sent us out to a community to work at a school and learn from local teachers that was when I, like, finally got to experience what being in Namibia was like and what, like, living there and being a teacher and stuff was like. So I was living with um, locals. I was walking to school every day and hanging out with my colleagues and everything, and that was awesome. Like, that was really enjoyable. Um, and then we had to go back for more training. And it was like, oh, if I can just make it through this last, like, few weeks of training and then I can go back to school and I don't want to do this stupid training anymore. Um, And then I got transferred to a school in, like, one of the most remote parts of the country. Not because it's hard to get to. It's just really far away from everything. Um, I was, like, at the very bottom of, of everything and it was a little isolating and I definitely had some homesickness. The Royals baseball team from Kansas City won the World Series that year and when they won I stayed in my apartment for three days and listened to uh the song Kansas City written by Bob Dylan and performed by that dude from Mumford and Sons and cried (laughs) for three days straight um I actually had responsibilities like I went to to school and still did my work but I would come right home and just cry but I got over that, you know. I had other things to do, so it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the homesickness kind of comes and goes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's not the first time you'd lived in another country, though, is it? No, it was the longest that I'd lived 
abroad and the first time that I'd been working abroad. So before I'd done study trips to Japan and South Korea and well, and yeah, I'd worked a little bit in the Czech Republic and the longest I'd been out of the States was eight months. And uh, so this was two years, three months. So it was a little longer. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Quite well. Yeah. So tell me about the communication. So in this three-month intensive training, they also teach you the local language, right? Yes. So they divide you up when you get there. And uh, they say you can't choose a language. And that's kind of true. Like, you can't go up and say, I prefer this language. Well, you can. That doesn't mean they're going to listen to you. But when you show actual drive to learn a language, like if you're like, I will commit to this, then they're like, oh, yeah, okay, you can, you can do that one. So we got there and we learned about all the different languages and offered. So Namibia itself, I think, has 13 recognized languages. And then each of those has its own dialect, if I'm getting that right. that Don't quote me on that. So what did you learn? So I learned KKG, um, which stands for Kwekwekovap, which in like that's the school terms so, like if you're in a school and you're taking a class they call it quick wiggle up class but if you are like in a community people don't call it that um they will call it damara nama or nama damara depending on which tribe they're from so were there other westerners there or were you the only one yeah, so in my village, I was the only non-Namibian, uh, but my my village was um, in a region called Basterland, and it is predominantly populated by the Baster and Nama tribes, and so I was, I stuck out, yeah. For about six months, I did have a site mate, so another volunteer came and stayed, and then um uh which happens in Peace Corps decided it wasn't really for him and left. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how was it for you in terms of kind of being the only white person there, being the only <laughs> Westerner? <laughs> um at first it was kind of weird. Um but I think also like it was just being the first like just being an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and people weren't rude or mean or anything like that. They were just curious. Like, people will come up to you and be like, just stare at you. Like, just That's what that silence means. Just, <laughs> just stare at you. Um, and that was kind of weird. But then, you know, you, you'd meet people. It's a small community. So after a while, I got to know a good number of the people who lived there. Um, I think one of my funniest experiences, um, I realized that my kids, my students, they don't don't really look at me. <laughs> Um, so one day I, uh, one of my, my host brother had drawn a picture of me and I was like, oh, it's a very good picture, but why did you put my eyes as being blue? He says, because you have blue eyes. I said, I don't have blue eyes. I have brown eyes. They're very dark brown. And he looks at my face and he goes, you don't say your eyes are brown. And I said, yes. Did you change them? No, no, they've always been brown. (laughs) So then I go to school the next day and I'm with my my grade nine class who is really well behaved and I tell them a lot of jokes and things like that. And I told them about this and then suddenly my whole class goes, but miss, your eyes are blue. (laughs) And so there's a pause in class where I have to walk around and show everyone, no, my eyes are indeed brown. My hair is also brown in case you didn't notice that either because the teacher who'd been there before me had 
blonde hair and blue eyes. And so I think they just put her picture on top of me. Um, and there were occasionally, um, if I went to like the poorer parts of, of our village, people will come up and just like ask you for money. Um, all the time, they'll just ask you for like a couple dollars. And, uh, that never happened. Like once I got to know people, they would never do that. They would never come and ask for money, but occasionally people I didn't know would. Um, they just assume you're like a rich yeah they, they're like oh a tourist white person give me money and I'm like I have none I'm a volunteer <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any mm. and you were able to speak to them in their language usually mm. yeah usually yeah. yeah so tell me about some of the friends you made there yeah so I was super lucky that everywhere I went, I just met really, really cool people. Um, that doesn't happen, you know, like, you travel, that doesn't always happen. Met some really nice people in my first sight. Um, there was actually a teacher who was my age, and we bonded over, we both um, love watching, like, drama TV shows, and she had just gotten into K-dramas. So we watched some K-dramas together, which was uh, good because... A lot of Namibians like watching telenovelas, but telenovelas with really bad English dubbing. <laughs> okay. And it's like I could watch, I could watch it if it was subtitled probably, but the English dubbing, it like pulls you out <laughs> of the story. You're like, that's not the emotion I feel like the actor was going for. <laughs> so we bonded over watching subtitled dramas. And then when I moved to my, my final village, I met this family, like, my second day, this group of, of, like, elementary school kids, primary school students came over and were like, we're going to show you the town now. And I was like, okay. They wanted an excuse to go to the local butcher slash abattoir's shop because they had just gotten, like, an inflatable pool. And it was hot. <laughs> so they were like, oh, yeah, we'll bring the new person and introduce her to them, and then we'll play in the pool. And uh, I'm really grateful for that pool because it – because of that pool, I was able to meet my my host family while I was there. And um, host family is a very, like, loose and fast term. Um, but there's this family that kind of just ended up adopting me in. Um, it was great. I was really good friends with, with the, the mother the, the mother and um, the kids. And I still message with them and am close. And it was good. I was kind of on the – I had trouble getting along with my colleagues um, then I discovered we all had a mutual hatred of our principal, so that made things a lot easier. Um, and then it got better. Yeah. So finding things in common, being the first. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was an important step when I realized that they also thought he was an obnoxious prick. Suddenly we had something to talk about around the coffee pot. So <laughs> it's like, ah, I found out how to get you to talk to me. And they're like, yes, we will always slam our boss. Some things they're the same no matter where you go. No one <laughs> likes their boss, no matter no matter. Um but yeah, they were great. I also met um a local family in town. So like my my village didn't have a proper shop or ATM, so you can't buy all of your food and stuff there. And I found a, a amazing family that I also still keep in contact with in town because um it's so far away you'd have to like stay the night usually. And so you need to find someone you can stay with in town and and they opened their home up to me and other volunteers time and time again and we're just like the nicest people in the world and I was like damn goals 
Yeah. So how did your friends and family back home react to you going to Namibia? Um, my family was a little concerned. So again, when you Google Africa or Namibia, <laughs> the whole continent, or the whole continent yeah. like seriously, Google any, anything on that continent and it's, the news is never good, which is awful because like, there's some really awesome stuff going on in, in, on the continent and in Namibia in particular. But when you Google it, you see things like, you know, high rates of HIV AIDS, There was a huge story about passion killings right before I went because uh, they, they're a thing there. They're a thing everywhere. It's just in, you know, in Africa, they have a catchy name so that, you know, politicians can yell about them in a different way than we do in other places. But there was a huge movement to try and, and reduce them. And so, like, that was in the news. But when, you know, your mom reads it, all she sees is passion killings, not that the minister of gender and uh, family and quality or whatever, I don't remember what it was, um, has launched a task force like, to try and deal with this. And it's like, you know, actually it's probably a pretty good thing. Like, because I think a lot of people's perceptions of, yeah, Africa, right? They, yeah. It's a huge continent. With, with lots of diversity. Yeah. 56? More than that. Yeah. Yeah. They just see like some generic image of a yeah. starving Ethiopian child and think about, I don't know, yeah. HIV. And, and they're like, that's what it is. And it's like, mm, <laughs> sure, there's parts of it that are totally like that. Like there are parts of Namibia that look exactly like the sad commercials where they ask you to donate money to to an African child and there's parts of you know like Vinduk the city is a modern city there's like tall buildings and things like that um they have a fashion week like stuff is going on there um stuff is going on in the in the villages and the towns like it's not It's it's not just starving children on the side of the road. Well, you could go to any part of the U.S. or the U.K. Yeah, yeah. and you could selectively take pictures of whatever you wanted and yeah. paint that picture. Roads in Namibia were way better maintained than roads in Kansas. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even a competition. <laughs> and how about people in general? Like, I mean, it's hard to just generalize, but friendlier or what do you people so it depended on where you were um depended on on where you were uh I like I said I lived in uh Basterland and in Namaland and Baster people were really open um really like I always want to say Genki <laughs> like you know like that's yeah. just like, very like say upbeat bubbly lively bubbly. yeah they're just like very happy people Uh, I don't know want to say happy, just like more they have, and, they have yeah. more, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're a lot more trusting where Nama people have, you know, and there's historical reason for them to be wary of white people, <laughs> um, but are a little bit less so. But also if you, you know, if you try and speak Nama with them, that makes a huge difference because they're like, oh, you see me. And you realize um, how little a lot of tourists who go through, a lot of white people who go through, actually bother to stop and look at them. Um, one of our, uh, so there's a couple other volunteers that were in my region. And in our region was a, uh, like a dam and a resort. 
And so you could go there and camp or you could stay in a chalet, but like we would go and camp because it's fun. Um, the people who worked there, like you could just see that they were so unused to any of this, like tourists who come through looking at them or even talking to them. So uh, one of the things that we would always do, uh, part of our training is to be taught at least the basic greetings in all of the languages and sort of how to recognize some differences between them. So if we're at a restaurant and we can hear the waitress speaking to someone in one language, we know that we can greet her in that language and that that like, it's just the nice thing to do. Um, it's what like a Namibian would do. And so we would greet them in Nama because usually the ones at this dam all spoke Nama. And they were just like, it was just nice because we got to talk to them and like learn more about them. And they actually got to talk to people at work that like, you know, wanted to hear about things. I don't know. Um, and it's weird because like in America, that's really normal. Like you would definitely always talk with, like if you're at a restaurant, you would talk with your server. Like that's something I have a lot of difficulty when I'm abroad is that concept of, of having a small chat with your server is a very American thing. Even here in Czech Republic, people look at me like, why are you talking to me? Mm. Why? <laughs> um, but in Namibia, once you've got them talking, they would love to talk to you. And that was enjoyable for me because the whole reason I, I travel, I go places is I want to meet people. Yeah. Forgot what the question was to bring it back. That's but... okay. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to look at this idea of uh, like fitting in or adapting mm -hmm. to a new place. So I'm trying to think like what's the best way to yeah. word a question. Did you feel like you would ever be able to fit in there in the long term? Or did you feel like you'd always be an outsider? Mm. I think, I mean, it depends on where you live. But, like, if I were to stay in my village, which is where I felt, like, safest, you know, like, that's that was my, like, home, I would always be an outsider. But I also think that the village was really welcoming. So I, they would always see me as being the American or being the foreigner, but it didn't keep them from inviting me to events. It didn't keep them from wanting to interact with me. It didn't, it didn't ostracize me from society in the way that it does in other places, in the way that it would have in, you know, even other parts of Namibia in the U.S. and Czech Republic, you know, anywhere. But there was always that distinction of, well, you're not from here, so you don't know how it is. Um, that came up a lot in school because there's very specific ways that um, things in schools are supposed to be done. And I, some of them I thought were frivolous and ridiculous. Like you have to cover your binder. And I didn't really, I thought it was unprofessional to cover my teacher's binder. And my principal and I have a few words exchanged about that. I was like, I'm not going to go find some special paper to, it's just going to get torn. Like <laughs> They were obsessed with that in my school in Wales. Yeah, like, I was like, why would you? Wrap all your school books in like Christmas wrapping. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't wrap your books, it's like a demerit for your students. And I was like, I don't care. And they're like, your, your students don't have their books wrapped. And I was like, I, I really don't care. Like, they brought their book. I, that's all I care about. It's, But yeah, so there was just some... 
So every time that would come up, my principal would always throw the, well, you're an American. And I'd be like, well, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> like, Yeah. So I guess there's definitely resistance to people from other countries coming in and trying to tell them how, how to do it, which yeah. I totally get. I wasn't about to tell them that they couldn't wrap them. They can do whatever they want. I just did not care if my students wrapped their books or not. I was yeah. like, okay. It's like, well, did you provide paper for them to wrap it? Well, no, of course not. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make them wrap their book. Most of these kids, where are they gonna get paper? They have to go all the way to Windhoek to get paper. No one's gonna have paper. No, it's a yeah, waste of resources. Complicated. <laughs> mm. I have thoughts and opinions. <laughs> and um, yeah, like. From my experience living in Japan, I felt like, you know, you're always the gaijin, the yes. outsider. It was really similar to that, that feeling of outsider. Yeah, like, we'll be nice to you and befriend you, but, but of course, you're not really ever going to be one of us, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That was, so my, my, um, my family that I stayed with in, the, in town, the father was Pakistani. And he had been living in Namibia since before independence. Um, he had arrived as a UN peacekeeper, ended up marrying a local woman and, and stayed in Namibia. And even then, you know, he'd been living there for 20, almost 30 years. And still he's considered the the foreigner. And I think after a while, he finally just kind of, said whatever mm-hmm. and and it's like what else can you do like he's he's tired of it so yeah yeah but even in wales you know people who have moved over and been there for years if they're still english especially if they haven't really made any effort to learn welsh yeah. and people still talk about them like that too like oh yeah well you know she's english she doesn't get it yeah yeah <laughs> and I mean, even back in Kansas, I guess, would you have the same attitude? Oh, sure. Yeah. My mom's from Missouri. We remind her of that regularly. Wow. <laughs> so even... She's not even foreign. She's just from across the river. You're <laughs> from the wrong state. Yeah. Yeah. And even within, what, the same country or well, state, you'll have yeah. different cities. You'll always... That's one of the things. So uh, Kansas, it's Kansas City in the Kansas side. Well, the whole Kansas City has some really strict cultural divides. So I uh, had some friends that were from the other side of the river on the Kansas side, and they would be embarrassed to come to my house because, well, like, to my school, to, like, to my side of the river because it was the bad side. Oh, I was like, I live in a small town. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not, what do you think is going to happen? Like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, of course, a lot of people feel like an outsider in their own town Mm -hmm. or place anyway and have you found in a way even if you're always seen as the outsider you you get like a bigger welcome if you go to a foreign country than if you're in your own country and move to a new city (laughs) yeah one of the reasons I think that I I want to live abroad that I like living abroad is because there's something more painful about not feeling like you belong in your own home Mm. um like, so I grew up in rural Kansas, like, just outside of Kansas City, so, like, enough that I could go to the city when I wanted, but not, you know, we're a small town. You know, I'm queer. I have weird interests in foreign places, and it just, I, my family is really um, pretty 
left wing. In a famous letter my grandfather wrote to my grandmother during his training in World War II, he was complaining about how they gave everyone Bibles, and he's like, I guess it'll be a decent pillow. Because he had no time for that. <laughs> like, that was the kind of, of family I grew up in. And uh, the town I grew up in was primarily Baptist, um, pretty conservative. We had Westboro Baptist in and out a few times while I was growing up. And there were just things that were not okay. You were not supposed to be gay. You were not supposed to be not Christian. Catholic was kind of pushing it. And how dare you have your liberal beliefs? Don't you know you're going to hell? So that was just something, yeah, I grew up with a lot and it hurt. And I think it's part of the reason why even when I go back to visit, I love my town. Like I love where I'm from, but I just could never live there again. And there's something about when I go to Namibia and have almost a similar experience. Like, um, they're not super, super friendly with gay people in the village. Um, it's in, t in the towns and in the cities, it's not as bad. Uh, but in the village, it's ooh, those gay people. They're really confused by non-Christianity. They're deeply concerned about a scourge of Satanism. This is really just where I grew up, but now it's in Namibia instead of Kansas. But they're not my people. Like, this isn't supposed to be my home where I feel like I'm from. Yeah. And so I feel like it gives me a reprieve. Yeah, it's somehow okay that we don't fit in when we've moved to a new place, but when it's in a place we grew up, it feels yeah more painful, I think, or... Yeah. 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 I can say, you know, I grew up in a small village in North Wales and having my mum being English, even that was enough to make me not quite Welsh enough there. But as soon as I went to university in England, I was Welsh. So, you know, never quite fit in anywhere. Plus, I'm kind of weird. I'm probably one of the only people from my friends who, you know, lives away and doesn't want kids and is, you know kind of diverging off the typical life path, let's say. And, yeah. Is there anywhere where you have felt that you belong? Mm. I think one of the reasons I came to Prague again, it's not that I necessarily feel like I belong here, but I feel like I can belong here and it's okay. I feel safer here, which is weird because we were just talking about the recent scourge of Nazis and they're obnoxious and awful, but I'm really anonymous here. Uh, people don't notice me on the street. It's a city. Um, I have no attachment to, you know, Czechness that I feel like I'm betraying or whatever. And I don't speak Czech well enough to like have to listen to everything so you can kind of just tune out anyways if someone's talking about you and I guess that kind of anonymity is really enjoyable like I really enjoy that and that's I think one of the things that I decided yeah I wanted to to come and, and live here because I feel like I can be here and not be ostracized because yeah yeah would you say it's better to be anonymous then than to be noticed but in a negative way for me yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think it really depends on the person but for me mm. 
Yeah, I would definitely rather be completely invisible. Mm-hmm. And it must be a relief after standing at like a sofa yeah. in Namibia. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I know from Japan when people will like stare and point at the foreigners. I'm not in the big cities always, but in any smaller city mm-hmm. or town. Like, oh. Yeah. There. There's a gaijin. <laughs> Maybe gaikokujin if they're being polite. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But um, I guess we have a degree of white privilege here, though. For sure. Oh, yeah. That's like the reason that I can come here and blend in is because I am white with brown hair and brown eyes. <laughs> like I look like every other person on the street. Um because that's what a lot of people said, well, why don't you move back to, to Asia? Like, you speak Japanese, you speak Korean, you should do that. And after being other for so long, I was like, mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just have a little bit where I don't look like anything? Where I just look... And I, yeah, it's so... I'm so privileged to be able to say that because I know that's not the case for so many people in America, the majority of Americans, and... um even I know some of my my friends and colleagues in Peace Corps who are African American, when they would go to Africa, there's uh, this is their words, and I'm not sure if I feel comfortable talking about it, but they they express some some frustration because even on the continent, you're seen as other, mm-hmm. even though there's kind of this idea that you shouldn't seen like that that's where you're you know somehow from or whatever mm-hmm. um but you're still you're now still American, you're still right? now american yeah. but you're not american because americans are white just like a, the, so they can't really put you in yeah, a box and i had a, a lot of friends that felt really frustrated by that mm-hmm. at, like with good reason like a, it's not an incredulous frustration that's like a damn that sucks like mm-hmm. it's hard mm-hmm. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of privilege in being a white person. Yeah. And even people who move away for a while, like people who might be from Namibia, but if they'd gone abroad yeah. and come back, oh, yeah. it completely changes. It makes you other. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the same, you know, like if I was to move back to Kansas now, I think Kansans would do that too. They'd be like, yeah, you're from here, but like, didn't you live somewhere else? And it's like, yes, I did, but... I think about this a lot, about the concept of what does it mean to fit in, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's hard to say exactly, but it does feel like you have to follow a lot of norms almost unquestioningly Mm -hmm. in order to stay in the group, and then once you've you've questioned them out loud, then you're a weirdo, and... You know, you can't. You're not allowed to stay in, right? Yeah, you need to. Yeah. You need to leave now. Yeah, and I would say the first time I really felt like I fit in anywhere was in Japan, but in the bar full of expats, and it was just this conversation we were all having about how all of us had felt too sort of too big for our small hometowns, and mm-hmm. you know, we sought novelty too much. We dreams too big people always found us a bit intense and weird and we all yeah. found each other there in this bar you know <laughs> i guess there are those of us who might not belong in one culture or physical location but we you know kind of belong to each other when we find yeah, each other out in yeah yeah definitely the wanderers <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that yeah cuz it's um 
It's just hard. And I think that's one of the things I didn't really have like queer friends <laughs> until like other queer friends until I was in Peace Corps, which is weird because again, you know, it's not exactly the most queer friendly space. Um, Namibia doesn't have any laws against homosexuality. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's legal in the constitution because after apartheid, they were like, all people are legal and valid and we're not discriminating against people anymore. And I was like, yeah, mood, that's good. Like, <laughs> that's a great constitution. Um, but there's still a lot of cultural stigma, a lot of religious stigma, which is exactly what it is in Kansas. But the people in the Peace Corps that I met were really awesome. And it was kind of the first time that I felt like I had a safe space to be more open about myself, mm. um, which is something I've been trying to bring with me now as I travel around and, and be more open about like who I am and, and unapologetic about it and stuff like that. So do you think you'll stay in the Czech Republic? Yeah, if I can get a keep getting visas. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> join you on that one. Yeah. Now that Brexit's happening, we'll yeah, be in that it's boat. Fun. It's fun, but yeah, no, I like living here. The community that I've been kind of forming here around myself has been amazing. Um, a lot of of other queer people from various places, some Czech, some you know from other parts of Europe, Eastern Europe, the Americas. But yeah, I I think that there's a lot to say for found community, found family. There's that kind of narrative within queer culture um, of the, the found family. One thing that I have kind of come to realize about it after traveling so much is, and looking, <laughs> I guess, like well, that's one of the things, I guess, why I travel is I'm always looking for somewhere where I can fit in a little bit more. And, you know, you, you have to kind of create that space for yourself. And my primary goal since moving here has been to surround myself with the people that make me feel loved and like I have a community and like I feel safe here. Prague has a thriving queer scene, um, lots of artists and other weird people like myself. We don't always get along, but I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel the same way here in Prague that I built up a nice sense of community and yeah I mean one of the plus points of globalization and the internet yeah. too right is you can find events that suit your interests yeah that's how we met <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah she stalked me on Facebook that's how it was met. an accident <laughs> accidental stalking mm -hmm. but you know why not I, I've made a few friends that way to be honest when I moved to Romania I literally just saw people commenting in Facebook groups and I messaged them like I like the way you talk <laughs> I liked how you talk well, that's how I met I met my partner was uh I saw their art online and invited them to my artist's brunch that I host every other week mm. <laughs> yeah well, a few months later we we're, were um we were together and things were good. Yeah, yeah. Now we're hitting six months. So. Wow, already? Yeah. Time is flying. Time goes way too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of time, I guess we'll wrap yeah. this up now. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you for, for inviting me. This was fun. Yeah, you're welcome. In the next few episodes, we're exploring the idea of fitting in in a very different way, and that is fitting in or clicking with somebody in a romantic context. So what does it mean to be compatible with somebody? 
Is it just the stars aligning? Is it a match of personality types? Or is it something that takes time to work on and grow? Thank you for listening to The Way We Connect. You can go to thewaywheconnect.org or follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram under The Way We Connect to find out a little bit more about our episodes, to find links to resources that are mentioned in the episodes or to get in touch.